All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. You guys been enjoying the sun? We've had a lot of sun here recently. It's been awesome. And I, I can, you know, coming from uh, California, I can totally understand when, when Ashley says summers here are awesome, but they're very short. Only a couple of weeks. And um, one of my pastor friends on Facebook, he put, um, it, it was a really fun statement. He said, hey, um, a survey just came out and released the top two reasons people miss church. He said, reason number one is bad weather. Reason number two is good weather. And I was like, you know, coming from California, I understand reason number one, because when it was rainy or muggy or overcast, that's when people would kind of stay inside. Then I moved up here and realized that's just every day, so everyone's here at church anyways. But then um, I understand number two since I moved up here, right? Sunny weather, what do people want to do? They're at the lake, right? They're having fun. So it's, it's really, really fun. I, I've loved the warm weather. I got back from kids camp on Friday. I got to spend the whole week with the kids up there, and it was 95 degrees and sunny over at um, in Waits Lake, so Spokane area. But let, let me tell you, I, I loved that last Sunday we got to see and hear from the youth what God was doing in their hearts at camp. And um, I know that we only took um, four kids from our church to camp, but there were, I think, 80 kids in total at kids' camp. And um, to see God work in just even the, the littlest kids was an incredible thing. So um, thanking God for everything he's doing with our youth and our kids and can't wait to see um, how that's going to continue to go. I, I had a, um, a thought when I was at camp I was talking with the counselors, and I, I believe this for youth camp, and I believe this for kids camp, but I was at kids camp, so I shared it with the counselors there. I said, guys, you look around, there's 80 kids here. I honestly believe the pastor of your next church, or the next pastor of your church could be in this group right here. And I believe that with all my heart for all those kids. The next pastor of the church could be at that camp. And, um, and then I got to tell people, and it's probably the kid that's giving you the hardest time, the most grief that you're telling to calm down and be quiet, that's going to be your pastor. So... Give them grace. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew chapter 11. I'd like to welcome everyone again for joining us online. If you're joining us there today, uh, probably my mom. Hi, mom. You're there. But um, we're a uh, good news. Today we are starting a new series, so we're done talking about money. Much rejoicing. Yay, right? But, um, but we're moving on to, to a new series. Um, but before I touch on the new series, I do want to remind everybody, if you weren't here last week, um, I, I issued a challenge to the church. Um, you can find it on the, the coffee bar out there. There's, I call it the divine dare. But don't just take that paper and read it and say yes or no, depending. I mean, if you weren't here last week, you didn't hear last week, listen to the message last week first, and then look at that paper, because it will make more sense in the context of what we talked about. Um, if you're online today and you don't know what that is, uh, you didn't see last week, watch the message last week, email me, and I can email you what we're calling the divine dare. But I'd love for people to jump in and participate with that as we, uh, as we challenge God in a way and test him in a way that scripture says, test me in this. So um, Matthew 11, we're going to start a new series today, and we're, I'm, we're going to talk about the promises of God. How many of you guys, um, I know that I love the fact that we serve a God who is 100% faithful in all of his promises, amen? I mean, everything he says he'll do, he does it, he has never failed, he will never fail, he'll never falter, and he is the only one in existence that can say that. So, I mean, just to, to prove this point, show of hands, how many of you have ever broken a promise, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you've broken a promise? Right? And then we have some dishonest people in here too, I see. All right, we got, it's all right. We, we've all been there. We, we've said we'll do things, and then, like I said, either intentionally or unintentionally, we've, we fail. We, we fall through. And the thing is, because we're human, we will fail. 
I will fail you at times. It, it happens. Now, my daughter, um, Avery in particular, she loves to call me out when I forget to do something I said I was going to do, specifically when it involves candy or ice cream. She knows. And, and the kid has the mind of an elephant at times. She could tell me, Dad, last month on Tuesday, you promised that next Wednesday we would go get ice cream. And she knows those details, but the kid can't remember where she put her socks. But she knows when I make a promise and I don't keep my promise or I forget about something. She remembers all of it. And all throughout history, though, if we, we look through our lives, there, there are lots of people that we come across that we know will keep a promise or forget a promise or break a promise. For example, this is not a political endorsement or statement in any way, shape, or form, but presidents make lots of promises. Presidents during campaign season make lots of promises. No matter who it is, no matter what president it is, right? There are promises that are made. But you know who in history, if you Google just anything broken promises, there are lists of presidents. That's just what pops up. I, I was actually looking at it this morning. I was like, all right, let me just look up some examples of broken promises. And there were website after website after website of just this president and this president and this president. There were stat trackers and how much did they say they would do and what did they not do? Some of it was their fault, some of it was not their fault. But the underlying thing was the same. Every president makes promises. Every president breaks promises. That's a, it's a good example of some of them wanting the best things and then not being able to do it for different reasons, or some of them just saying things to get elected. But all that to say, in human nature, we make promises, and we are not 100% successful in following through with what we say we, what we will do. But God never has to be reminded about a promise. He never has to be reminded, you said you'd do this, um, did you forget about this? He will do what he says he will do every single time. So we're going to unpack for the next number of weeks certain promises that he says and, and how do they apply to our lives? How do we dive in and embrace these, these truths and things that God says he will do for us? Now, whether you're brand new to this Jesus thing or, uh, or you've been walking with for some time, the reality is people will fail you all the time. People, no matter where you go, a church will fail you at a time. I, as a pastor, I know at some point, not on purpose, <laughs> I'll fail you in some way, shape, or form in a time. I'm going to do my best not to, but, but I'm human and I will make a mistake somewhere down the road. But I love that even though in our flawed nature, God is flawless and he never will make that mistake. Many of us uh, today can probably point out a number of times that people were, were un, unfaithful to a promise to you. And as I'm talking about it now, you probably can even start thinking about, I remember when maybe it was my parent, my dad, my mom, my friend. Someone said this to me and they didn't follow through. But God kept every promise in the past. He'll keep them all today, and he will keep them all in the future. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we get to Matthew 11, I want to I read you what the Bible declares in Psalms 119, verse 103. It says this, How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. You guys like honey? Personally, I don't like a spoonful of honey. I like... I like food that has been enhanced, like, you know, it's growing up, I, I love honey that's a part of food, like there's honey baked this, or this has honey sweetened it, like I love stuff that's cooked with honey, but I'm not just a fan of a spoonful of honey. I don't know if it's too sweet or weird, it works wonders for my allergies in allergy season. But, um, but honey is sweet. It is a natural sweetener, and, and a lot of uh, health enthusiasts will say it's one of the best sweeteners you can use because it is so natural and it's not processed or fake. It is a good sweetener. It's one of the sweetest things you can taste. And when, when, we, when we taste things that are sweet in general, we tend to go back to it. I have a huge sweet tooth. Um, there is always candy in my house. 
My kids love me for that, probably more than any other reason, right? But we have candy in our house. We love sweet things. And I think it's amazing that scripture compares God's words to honey because people in general like sweet things. But not only is scripture sweet like honey, but there's something else honey will never do, which is also something about scripture. Some of you guys may know this. Honey is the one food item in the world that does not go bad. Honey will never expire. It will never get old. It will never get too old to consume. It's like scripture will never get too old. Now, if you're thinking in your cupboards, you probably think, I've had that honey bear in my cupboard for 10 years, and it's still good, right? Now, creamed honey, yes, that will go bad. They've done stuff to it. But just natural, raw honey, it will never go bad. As a matter of fact, I read an article that in 2015, a group of archaeologists found a honey in a tomb that had markings of jars that they estimated was over 3,000 years old. They ate some of the honey. It was still good, 100% fine, 3,000 years later. And they did not have those preservatives that we have today. That was just honey in a jar. Now you can say, yes, it go, it'll go bad. Look, it's all hard. You just boil that container, it goes right back to normal. Honey doesn't go bad. But I love that, so scripture is compared to honey. It's not just sweet, but it, it will never, ever go bad. Now, I believe that God's desires, as we, one of his desires as we begin this series, is that we'll continually return to his word and find that his promises are trustworthy, they're true. And so every week for a while, we're going to look at a different promise he says and see how true it is then and how true it is today and why it still matters. So Matthew chapter 11, as we get started, Jesus is speaking here, and this is one of his promises. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Short and sweet, right? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's a key word in here that I think many of us need, and that many times we cling to. Now, I know in my house, um, I don't know if anybody else does this, my wife likes to pick a word of the year. So a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. Stephanie will pick a word of the year. And what's funny is uh, in, in 20, it was, I, I was, when I was writing this, I was like, was that 2021 or 2020? It was 2020. She picked the word rest. What were we forced to do in 2020, right? <laughs> you stay at home. You couldn't do anything because of COVID. It was, that became a joke in our house. Like, Stephanie, you brought COVID on the world. Why'd you pick that word, right? But she wanted this word. Every year she picks a new one to become something that, that she prays on and dwells on. It becomes part of her being. And she picked rest. And in this verse, I see here, God promises, promises us all rest. He promises us rest. Now, how many of you can hear that verse right there? Come to me, all you who are weird and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that just hearing that verse or even saying that verse is a sigh of relief, right? Rest is something we need. You guys ever been in a season where you go, 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 and you don't rest? You can only go so long before your body forces you to rest, before you just start to shut down, right? There, there, we are a, a weary people sometimes. We can be overworked people. We can get so consumed with busyness and life, and then the world comes in that we can become desperately in need of good rest, good nourishing rest, and not just physical rest, but rest for your soul, rest for your spirit, where you're like, I just need to stop for a second, because the world every day will chip away at you in some way, shape, or form. It could be a long season of little things, or it could be a short season of something massive that just hits you and just chips away, and maybe it's not a chip, but it's like a sledgehammer coming at you. Something just got really knocked crazy in your life, and you need rest. 
Sometimes constantly trying to take the high road in a situation or fend off a temptation or know that you have to do the right thing, that can cause you to wear down and cause you to just say, I've heard people say, I'm so tired of doing the right thing all the time. It's just making me tired. Thankfully, our passage for the day that we're going to talk about shows that we can find our much-needed rest in Christ. And all those times when we think we can't do it, he shows us that he can fill us up. And this is a very, very sweet promise. I think there are a few things that I want us to pull out of this passage in, in particular. And here's the first one. He says that he promises us rest, but the rest requires that we come. The rest requires that we come to him. Have you ever had a time where, where you were at home and you were really craving a certain food? Or a certain restaurant, for example? You're like, I want this restaurant and I want that really, really bad. But then you have this wonderful debate with yourself. That restaurant's really far away. Do I want to spend the time to go to that place right now? Or am I too tired and I just want to stay home and now I don't get that restaurant? It can feel really, really far sometimes. Even if you look at it and you're like, you know, that restaurant's only two miles away, but it's five o'clock and it's two miles down Meridian. Mm, that's a commitment, right? I mean, you know, it's, you know you're going you're to eat for another hour and a half. It could be a long time. It can feel far away or just be so long to get there. So you don't want to go. And then you look at, well, Maybe I can door dash, but they also got to sit in Meridian, so that's not going to work. It just delivery is not an option. So you have this debate. Do you really want to go? Do you really want to go do that? Because if you do, there's only one way to get it, and it means that you have to go to get it. The employees or staff are waiting for you. The restaurant's there. Business is going. But you have to go to them if you want something. Many of us, sometimes we feel like God is distant, right? Like, like he isn't very close anymore. However, in reality, I think this has a lot more to do with our reluctance to pursue him than it does with how far away he actually is from you because in all reality, he's right there. But our reluctance to pursue him can make him seem so distant and so far, and we say, I don't know if I want to go because he just seems so far. But really, that's just our own hesitation saying we're not going to go to him in the first place. See, all throughout scripture, we see God desires to be close to his people. He wants to be right there with you all the time. In Genesis 3, 8, in the very beginning, we hear, it says that, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees in the garden. This is right after Adam and Eve were created, right? They're, they're doing the garden thing. They're, they're, tend, they're, they're caring for it. They sin. And when they sin, what happens? God is still right there, but what are they doing? They're moving away, right? It's not a matter of God being far away from them. It's a matter of them saying, we are going to hide. We are going to move away even though he is right here because God was there in the garden, right there with them the whole time, desiring to walk with them, but they have removed themselves. Jesus wants to be where his people are. So naturally, Jesus says, come to me. I want you to come to me. But sometimes in our, our busyness or even in our shame, like Adam and Eve, whatever we're going through in life, God is still walking towards you saying, hey, let's go, but we're moving away from him. That means that in order to find rest for your souls, if we're in those seasons where we're feeling burdened and, and tore down, you know what we have to do? If he's already there, we have to go to him. We have to take that step and say, God, I'm stepping towards you because I need you in this. I see you walking towards me. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to go in my shame and, and shelter myself away. I'm going to pursue you in this time. Don't just sit back. We can't just sit back and say, no, I'm too tired. No, I'm too ashamed. No, this is inconvenient. Or sometimes we even say, well, God, I know that if I come to you, you're going to want to talk about some real stuff right now, and I just don't want to have a real conversation right now. So I'm not going to come to you. I'm too ashamed. I'm going to stay put right here, or I'm going to look the other way. 
But when we want rest, when we want to have Jesus comfort us and say, hey, I will restore you, we've got to make sure we go to him. We go to the altar. We lay ourselves down and say, God, I know you're here. I am now approaching and coming to you. So what does this look like? This looks like, I believe, a whole lot of different things for different people, but some ones we can all do. Daily praying. Praying, praying every day and letting him be a start of your day, inviting him in to what's going on in your life, Inv- walking into his loving embrace, studying his word, inviting him to grant us greater knowledge about, about him and his plan, really diving into what does he have for you? What does he have specifically for you? Dive into his promise. This looks like complete surrender and just collapsing in his arms at times where you know you need rest and you need him to hold you. Go to him and let him catch you. Try not to grip onto everything ourselves. Give it away to him. We get to a point where maybe we feel like in the busyness of things where you need rest and you just feel so beat down, you can't do it on your own. And do you want to know the truth? When someone says, you're like, I can't do it on my own, you know what I usually tell people? You are absolutely right. You cannot do it on your own. You were not created to do it on your own. You were not designed to do it on your own. God didn't create you and say, go be on your own. He created you for community with each other and with him. So no, you can't do it on your own. Do it with him. Come to him and find rest in him. Psalm 91.1 says this, whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty. I love that. And even in hot summer days, we can find shade, right? In the hottest times of your life, God can give you the shadow that he will bring you peace and coolness and comfort. When we were in Mexico, there were some really hot moments. Now, we were actually really blessed this, this year on a Mexico trip. It was not overbearingly hot in any way, shape, or form. Camp last week, on the other hand, was very hot. It, it waits like it was 95 degrees and um, no wind. It was, just, it was just sun, and we had, we had kids that were fair-skinned and, and really light, you know, white skin, blonde hair. We were like, coating them with sunscreen. But it was, it was a hot, hot week. And even in Mexico, there were hot, hot moments. But you know, when it was the hottest and we were tired, you know what the number one thing kids would look for is besides water, because they wanted soda. You know, but, but, you know, but what the number one place was to go cool down? Anywhere with shade. Literally anywhere with shade. There, there, you'd find a tree with a small little bit of shade and like 30 kids just all grouped together. Their body heat was probably counteracting the shade, but they were there, right? They, they were all wanting the coolness that that shade would provide. We get to a, a point in our lives where we know we need God's shade. We need him to say, hey, come rest, relax, get refreshed, cool down, let me charge you up. And I love that when it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will recharge, he will refuel, he will protect you in his shade. But we have to come to him. What keeps us from coming to God? And I think that's a question that's going to be different for everyone, the way you, you look at what's going on in your life, right? What keeps you from coming to God? What keeps me from coming to God? For us, maybe, we, we say we're busy. We say, I can't come to God because today I am too busy. I am just so busy and so tired that I don't have time to come to God. I have so much on my plate that time with God doesn't even make my priority list. Everything else is there, but that's the thing that's removed. And you know what's, what's crazy is that's an, often another common thing people will say. Like, I'll ask people, you know, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. You know, hey, I haven't seen you in a small group. I haven't seen you at church. I just haven't seen you. And in general, how are you doing? And the, one of the things they'll say, people is just, in general, I'm busy. 
Work is busy. I'm working a crazy amount of hours. I'm just, I am so consumed with outside, I, I don't have time to go to church. And for me, I, I know when I hear that, I'm like, oh man, that, that hurts me. Not just because I, I care about you and want to see you in church, but because so common, the first thing we nix out of our schedules when we're busy is our time with God. And I would love for us, just in general, people in general to say, instead of nixing out time with God because I'm too busy, let me start time with God and let everything else fall into place. Let me make sure that I'm never too busy to say he is not, he's the one, not the one that's going to start my day. So for, for something for us to do, a way to make this practical is when you go home, make a to-do list. And I would encourage you, if the number one thing on your to-do list is not spend time with God, rip that to-do list up and start over. Absolutely. Take it, shred it, start it over, and make sure that when you start your list every single day, what is number one on your list? Time with God. Let me go to God and let him help me fill my schedule. When we do that, I think then it, our, our schedule will then be reflective of his character. Our schedule will be reflective of his desires and what does he want for our life because we're starting our day with him. We can go about our normal routines, but then we do it with a Christ-like perspective and, and, and a fullness and fuel that he has already filled us up for what's going to take us on in the day. And ultimately, we will learn how to rest because it requires us to actually come to God first. It requires us to go to him first. The rest, the rest requires that we come. Second is the rest requires that we take. And often, you don't hear people say, I'm going to take this from you, right? But when it, what, what about when we come and we get to God? So God says this. He says, come to me. But then what's the next thing he says here? We're invited to take. 1129, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. Jesus says that, take my yoke upon you. Now, when I was a kid, I totally read this and heard it the wrong way. I thought it was about eggs. <laughs> Not about eggs. And true to this day, I hate eggs. I don't like eggs. So as a kid, I hated this verse. Like God said, take my yoke. God, why? Why? Eggs. Not eggs. Not all of eggs, right? Now, look at this image up here. What, are talk what he's talking about is this. This is uh, the yoke of an oxen, right? So this is, this is a standard yoke for oxen. And as you look at this image, let me read to you a statement that was made by Bailey McBride, a Christian professor, and they describe it this way. A yoke is a means of governing an animal and linking two or more animals for greater strength. We have to go to third world countries to see a real yoke in action. And when I have seen the real thing, I cannot imagine willingly taking on a yoke. The idea is totally counter to my love of personal freedom. I want to do it my way. I resist bondage. And to consider going under a yoke is a stretch that challenges me. So you see the yoke is put there and it allows them to plow easier because the, those animals are now doing the, the brunt of the pulling, right? So when Jesus he says, take my yoke upon you, he's referring to this image, this yoke, letting him do a lot of heavy lifting and pulling in your life. When we are willingly decide, when we willingly decide to take Christ's yoke upon us, we are invited then to lay aside our personal passions, our personal desires, especially those ones that are immoral or sinful or things we know we shouldn't be doing, right? We put those aside. We say the things of the world are no longer priority, and I'm going to let God's things be priority. I'm going to let my shoulders be consumed with what God is doing and what God wants. We're going to work with God. We're going to let him do some heavy plowing in our lives. We're going to let him pull us along. But the thing is, we have to take that yoke and put it on. We go to God and we say, I will take this and I will put it on me instead. 
For many of us, I think the, the real reason maybe we, we haven't found that true rest that we want is because we haven't really fully taken on God's yoke. And we still, still go back to, to maybe the yoke of the world. Maybe it's that same website that we keep visiting, that, that same substance, that same addiction we keep diving into, that same negative thought or, or self-doubt or, or demoralizing that we do to ourselves, that same addiction, that same sin that keeps knocking on our door and we keep wanting to engage with it, that's us saying, I want my yoke or I want the world's yoke. I don't want God's yoke pulling me instead. When we do those things, we believe a lie that those things are gonna satisfy us instead of God's word. We believe that those things are gonna give us rest. Those things are gonna give us reprieve instead of God saying, I will be the one that does this. And for those of us who have ever ever suffered with addiction or, or even suffered with, with a sin that we keep diving back into, we learn again and again and again that the world will only offer you false hope of rest. The world will only offer you false hope and promise. Only God can give you that real rest, that real promise for your soul. Only he can restore it the way that he wants it restored. We've got to come to this, this humbling conclusion, right, that, that merely coming to Jesus is only one step. Taking what he has to offer you, that's the next step. Take what he has, receive what he has. Make the decision to give him whatever is weighing you down. His yoke, not our own. So then the question is, when you come to God and you want to take on his yoke and give whatever's weighing you down, what is weighing you down? It's going to be different for everyone. What's weighing you down? When, when you want to come to God, what's something God's going to say? Give me this. Take mine instead, but give me this. I remember, it was about a year and a half ago now, that uh, my brother passed away. It was October of a year and a half ago. Rocked me hard. Rocked me really, really hard. Not only that, though, but, but I, um, and I've talked with my family about this since then, but I, I'm the pastor in the family. And so when my brother passed away, I, I felt like, and this was a lot of, it was unnecessarily burden that I put on myself. I, I felt like I could not grieve my brother's death in this moment. I had to be there for my family. I had to be the one that was, we were all in the room. I had to be the one that would pray for everyone. I had to pray over him. I had to be the one that was just taking all the emotions on myself. And I put that on me. Now, now my family did lean on me for a lot of things, but what I did was I felt like it was my job. This was my burden, and I had to be strong. I'm the pastor. What I did not do is I did not go to God for rest. I felt like this is my job. I must do all of this. I didn't seek rest, didn't seek comfort. I seeked my desire and my, my own, like I said, burden to care for everyone at this time. You know what happened after a few weeks of dealing with all of that? I got sick. I got physically sick. I was so weighed down that my body started to shut down. I got a fever. I got cold sores. I had aches and pains. I started feeling depressed. And for an extrovert who I love life and I'm always, I'm always the glass is half full kind of guy, this was the first time in my life I ever actually genuinely felt depression. And I didn't like it in any way. I mean, I don't know of anybody that likes it, but it, it, it was so foreign and shocking to me that it made, I was like, I feel like I'm depressed. Then that made me feel even worse. It was really, really bad. It wasn't until I felt so broken and down and I realized that I was not leaning into God in this time. I was trying to do everything on my own. I leaned into God. I decided, God, I need to take this off of my shoulders. I need you to help take this off my shoulders. I need to press into what do you want for me in this time? How can I serve you in this time? How can I, what do you, God, walk me through this. I need help. Once I did that, it was an amazing thing that happened. Almost instantaneously the next day, my symptoms were gone. 
I was able to, I was healthy again. My, my body felt healed. I was smiling and, and full of joy again. And even in the midst of dealing through a trying time, I was able to press into God. I was able to grieve, process, and be built back up. And let me tell you, I'm so glad God's yoke is not my yoke. I'm so glad he gets to be the one that pulls this and I get to press into him. But I had to come to him and I had to take what he had for me. So the question for all of us then, what's weighing you down? What is weighing each and every person down here? Maybe, maybe nothing right now. You're in a great season and that is phenomenal. But maybe in, in a season where you need rest, you got to ask yourself that question. What is weighing me down? What do I need to bring to God? God, here's my yoke. Let me take your yoke instead. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The Bible says, you want to find that rest, know what you got to do? Throw that stuff off. Throw it off. Run that race. You can't run that race if you're wearing a backpack that weighs 200 pounds, right? Everyone else is going to beat you. You've got to throw the stuff off and run the race that he's marked out for you with perseverance, knowing that you've given it all to him. Throw it off. The things of this world are not even worth comparing to what God has for you. They're not even worth comparing to God's rest. He can provide it if you're willing to take it. And lastly, I would say that rest requires that we are willing to learn. Who likes to learn? I love to learn. I love to read. Um, I, I was that kid in school. I mean, I know some teens now. COVID showed your true scholars. You love school. You missed school when you couldn't go, right? But I loved school. I loved to learn. Um, I, one, of my, one of my goals in life is just to be a lifelong learner, always learning from leaders around me. And um, I, I get to go to a leadership conference every year. And I love hearing from biblical leaders, secular leaders. What are good learning leadership tools that I can use? I love to learn. Matthew 11 says this. He says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. If God wants to teach you, you know what we have to be? We've got to be learners. We've got to be able to learn from his teachings. We've got to be able to listen to him and do what he says and figure things out and alter our life and change, adapt, learn to do what he's saying. I remember my seventh grade math teacher. Unfortunately, I, I believe that everybody in my seventh grade class remembers our seventh grade math teacher. It was not good. Not only was he not good, but I, I remember he was not nice. Math was hard. I've, that's been my biggest struggle in school, all through school. Math was hard for me. I love that for both of my kids right now, they love math and they say it's easy because I can't help them with their math. But I was not good at math. And not only was math hard, but I remember this teacher. He wasn't friendly. He didn't like to help. If we got frustrated or confused, he would laugh and he was kind of sarcastic. I can't believe you guys don't understand this yet. It was, it was not a fun class to be in. And I, I will forever remember this math teacher, snippy and rude when we asked questions. Got to the point where we felt embarrassed to ask questions because we didn't know what his response was going to be. It was not a good environment. I don't, felt like, I don't feel like I learned much in his class. But I also feel like every one of us probably has a teacher that we can think of through our school history. We had a teacher that we didn't like, but I'm also willing to bet you have the opposite as well. I'm willing to bet everyone in here probably has one or two teachers that you were like, that was my favorite teacher, no matter what grade it was. And again, for me, this was my fifth grade teacher. Mr. Kleine was my fifth grade teacher. I remember very clearly his words for the year were trust, risk, and cooperation. 
and he would press us and he would challenge us, but he would, he would push us along in a way where he would encourage us. He challenged us in such a great way. He inspired us. He never let us settle for anything less than our best effort on anything, and he would encourage us in amazing ways. And we would do classroom challenges, and he would celebrate with us when we, we got the challenge. And at the same time, if we were frustrated that we didn't, get, we didn't finish the challenge that he had set before us, he would encourage us, but he also would be sad with us that we didn't get it because he wanted us to do good. He was just a phenomenal teacher. Every day, we looked forward to going to school, specifically with Mr. Kleine, because he was incredible. Every day, he, he invested personally into us, and I felt like every day, we would press into him more because we knew what he wanted for us was so good. I'll never forget him. Every day, we have a teacher that can be an incredible life teacher if we press into him. Jesus is here every single day, and we get to press into him and learn from him every day of our lives. The passage says, I am gentle and humble at heart. And these are qualities that Jesus wants to teach us if we're able to learn from him. We're able to learn these things and put them into our life. We can learn how to be more Christ-like. And the beautiful thing about God, we note at the beginning of this passage, is that he wants to go on this journey of life with us. He wants to step every single step of the way with you, and he promises to give you rest in the midst of it. Who better to learn from than the Son of God himself, right? The one who wants to be here walking with us, who says, I will walk towards you. Come to me, take from me, learn from me, and I'll be by your side every single step of the way. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's not just going to be next to you. He will be living in you. He is within you through this journey, through the thick and thin. And we don't have to be afraid when he comes to us. Joshua 1.9 says that, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I love that. Promise that was true then, promise it is true now. He will be with you everywhere you go. Promise all the way back to the Old Testament through Joshua, but we see this promise all the way through and even to the end of Scripture. Revelation 21.3 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The book of Revelation lets us know where it all ends, right? Genesis, how it all began. Revelation, how it's all going to end. And I love the fact that God is with us there. God is with us there and everywhere in between. And he promises, I will give you rest for your weary soul in all these circumstances. And he'll be with us every single step of the time. Now, I, I want everyone to know, any day you can experience that sense of intimacy with your heavenly father. It doesn't have to be just on Sunday just on small group day, um, for youth that were at camp. It doesn't have to be just every year that you're at camp when you experience this fullness of God of what, what you dove into and what he, what he spoke to you that week. That can be every day, every single day when we come to him, take his yoke and rest in him. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, which he promises to, live with, promises to dwell and live within us and make us be more Christ-like in our life. I'd like to invite the worship team up as we come to a close this morning, but I want to ask you this. Uh, what's, what's holding you back? What's holding any of us back? What's, what's holding us back as we seek Jesus? What, what maybe is something we say, God, take off my yoke, take off the world's yoke. Let me take your yoke and let me rest in you. Let me let, let me let you drive this. Let me let you do the heavy pulling, God, and let me rest in you as we do this together. Maybe it's time to take that first big step of faith and say, you know what? I haven't gone to you in a long time, God. It's been a long time since we've had a real conversation and I'm tired and I'm hurt and I just feel weight on my shoulders and I just need rest. The good news is you don't have to be perfect. 
You don't have to be prepared. There's no ceremony you have to do ahead of time to say, I gotta go get right with God, so I gotta go do all these things first. He says, come to me as you are. Just come to me right now. Bring it all, lay it all on the line. Let me just have this conversation with you right now and let me give you rest for your weary soul. You don't have to be prepared. Just willing. Willing to go see him. Grab hold of that promise. Grab hold of Jesus today. Something I want us to do as a church today, since we're talking about promises of God, something the Bible declares about communion is we remember the promise that he fulfilled for us, the promise to, to pay the price for our sin, to be the only thing that could atone for our sin. But also, when we partake in communion, we're declaring something. We're declaring, Jesus, I believe in what you did, and I'm going to declare it every day until your return. He promises he'll return. Don't know when. We had a good talk about that at camp with the kids as well. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We just know that he is coming back. And one of the ways that we remember his promise and live in his promise is by taking communion together. So what I want us to do is take this together today. I go and rip off the, the top layer and get to the wafer. Now in scripture, Jesus, when he was with the disciples having the last supper, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And so when we eat this today, we get to remember God promised a savior. God promised his son and his son fulfilled that promise with his body, broken for us so that we wouldn't have to be broken, but that we can remember what he did for us. So what I'd like us to do now is I'm gonna give you guys a few seconds to maybe have just a, a short little time with Jesus before we take this and then I'll have us take it together. So just take a couple minutes and talk with God remembering the perfect sacrifice of his body for us. you now to take the, the wafer together. And if you're at home right now, go grab a cookie and a soda, anything you can do to take this with us right now. It doesn't have to be a, a wafer and grape juice. Grab any two elements and you can do this with us. The next thing Jesus did is he poured wine and he said, take this and drink. It's my blood that is poured out for you. Only the blood of Jesus could wash away sin. Only the blood of Jesus, because he was the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for us, washes away all of our inequities, makes us holy and blameless before him. So what I'd like us to do now is take a minute, talk to Jesus, and just thank him for the perfect sacrifice that, that he laid down and he shed his blood for us. You haven't already done it, go ahead and drink it. God, I thank you for, for your sacrifice. God, I thank you for your body which was broken for us, your blood that was shed for us, God, so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. You took that on the cross. And I love, God, that, that it didn't end there. Not only did you rise again, but when you ascended into heaven, you said, I'm coming back. God, and we believe that. And we declare and we live in your promise, not only for rest, but that you will return someday. So God, I pray that up until then, we live for you, we love you, we rest in you, and we hold on to every promise that you have ever made to us because we know they will all come to fruition. We thank you, God, we love you. And everybody said, Amen. would you stand with me as we close service today?